Hear the word of the Lord that Paul writes to the Galatians. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy... Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So already I'm uh, uh, amazed at just what God might be doing in our midst today. Uh, I, I've always loved it, being a pastor, when I come into a service and I have a message that I, I feel like God would have me share uh, out of the scriptures, and then as we move into the service, we hear things like uh, that reading out of Philippians today. We hear Justin talking about the Holy Spirit. We sing a song like, Come You Sinners, all of these rich things that are kind of pointing right to about where I could almost not preach today, and we could go home early. I think, I think God has something to say here today. It, it seems like things are tracking this way. So if you would, please pray with me as we begin here. Father, I do pray that my words would be your words. Uh, Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit that I may proclaim your word faithfully and accurately. Lord, where I stumble and fall and do things imperfectly or out of flesh or any of that, just stricken it from the record. Let no heart hear it and let it, let it not be received. Father, bless the hearing of your word. And, and we offer our hearts to you. Uh, we're not here because we want to remain the same. Lord, we're here because you're calling us into something higher. And we want to go. Lord, send your Holy Spirit. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the church father, Tertullian, once said that there are two thieves that try to steal the gospel from us. Liberty and license. 
And I think that that's still very much true today. Uh, our text this morning commends us not to, or commends us to be free from the law, the yoke of spiritual slavery, while at the same time not going overboard in our liberty. So how can we be both free of legalism and its opposite extreme license while living an obedient life, balanced life, filled with the fruits of the Spirit, as our scripture tells us? Well, before I want to speak to that, I think it's really important that we understand what legalism and law following looks like and, and, and the fruits of that and what license looks like and the fruits of that. So we're going to spend some time there. I would suggest to you that legalism is primarily reducing the gospel to a set of moral rules or pietistic actions. It is seeking our justification or our right standing before God uh, by our behaviors. And it is our natural tendency, as we are born sinners, we are also born legalists. And I say that because God created us to obey, to be in right relationship with him. We're hardwired to follow his rules. But as we all know, that gift was distorted in the fall. And ever since, separated from God, all of Adam and Eve's children, you and me, have been doing everything we can to try to make life work for us apart from God. They thought they knew how to justify themselves in the garden. We still think we know how to justify ourselves here. The result really is a a legalism. It is a self-righteous counterfeit gospel that tells us that we can make it work on our own to be in right relationship with God. Here's the thing, though. If you would have asked a Pharisee how he knew he was pleasing God, he would have said something like this. I'm a good person. I do what's commanded, and I'm certainly better than those sinners over there. Outwardly, their behaviors looked godly. They were noble. Outwardly, their zeal was admirable. But inwardly, as we know from Scripture, their hearts were really far from God. And this is why Jesus so often called them hypocrites. Their standard of righteousness was a moral checklist and pietistic behaviors that when followed to the letter, made themselves acceptable, they thought, to God, to themselves, and better and more special than the world around them. I'd like to say this side of the New Testament, the legalist motto is something like this, if I could just try harder, I would be a better Christian. Legalists fall often. Legalists have little or no power over the works of the flesh. They're defeated and they despise their own hypocrisy, yet hypocrisy just keeps coming up in their lives. And they work very hard to cover it up by becoming the expert in something. Hiding behind knowledge, study, piety, moralism, positions of influence, party line judgmentalism, and often inciting this sort of us against them rhetoric. See, they need an enemy people who do not measure up to their own outward standards in order to feel better about themselves before God. They think a lot like the Pharisee in the temple who's comparing himself to the tax collector who says, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give all that I get. See, they may feel about their outward or good about their outward behaviors by comparison, but we have to remember that God looks at the heart. And Jesus says that if we think or feel something that's not right in our hearts, we're as guilty as having done it. 
Legalists often feel like they owe God something to make up for their shortcomings, kind of confusing this idea of penance or repentance, or between the two. In essence, they believe the cross is insufficient to cover their sins, subtly denying the work of Christ. The legalist has no sincere joy. They're hypercritical. They're often angry and feel as though God is way off in the distance somewhere. He's, he's a theological construct. And they feel the weight of trying to keep up with his demands. And they work very hard at moral perfection, but always come up short. And that's no surprise. Because the old covenant was in place to teach us that we can't do that on our own. I want to propose to you that that kind of legalism, that kind of view of self-salvation, that kind of view of self-righteousness, this works righteousness to be in right relationship with God, it really is idolatry. It's very much like going back to the garden where Adam and Eve, they see themselves in position of God, uh, declaring what they're about to do as good enough. They judge their own works. And for a legalist, kind of completing his moralistic and pietistic checklist, he worships himself and his efforts, not the God of grace. Paul makes it clear that legalism is not the proper response to the gospel. See, not long after the Galatians had received Paul's true, full gospel, there was a group of people that came in beginning to say, well, your justification is not just by grace through faith alone, You also have to do these Jewish rituals. In the case today, it was talking about circumcision, but it really points to we're going to have to have Jesus and something. We saw that in the little Philippians reading we had this morning, uh, the assurance after the forgiveness. Paul just goes again and again and again. It's not by this other stuff. It's by Christ and Christ alone. And they're being tempted to kind of come back under the law and, and, and be drawn into this stuff that helps to... Uh, um, cause their salvation and Paul's just like no, 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 no in Galatians we read are you so foolish having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith Paul makes it clear that the Galatians were in right relationship with God by faith not by following the teacher's moral and pietistic checklists. And for us, that is really, really, really good news. Which then begs the question, are we now free to do whatever we please? I think that question only identifies an equal but opposite error, and it's called license, and it too is death. In Galatians 5.13 we read, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And it seems clear to me that after reminding the Galatians that they don't need to be under the law, that he was anticipating their response to be, well, now we can do whatever we want. And no, that is not the case. That is not the way to do it. So what is license? I think license is primarily reducing the gospel to that of the forgiveness of sins. And I think we could talk about two types of people that fall into this category, the intellectualist and the emotionalist. The intellectualist motto is something like this, freed from the law, O blessed condition, I can sin all I please and still have remission. 
The intellectualist is not concerned with the lack of spiritual transformation in his life. They're really concerned with what they think. They're very heady people. They're more concerned about getting it all right up here than what they do. They're going to be consumed by knowledge. And this is uh, slightly different than the legalist. This is going to be knowledge of the world versus knowledge of the Lord. And they're always going to adhere to the knowledge which serves them best at the moment. They're profoundly reasonable people. In other words, he doesn't really have to engage the faith fully until he can make sense of everything. And he's not bound by anything then but his own desires. The minimum these people would confess is that their sins are forgiven while otherwise living according to the flesh. And they're not really bothered by it. There's no real inward or outward change other than a little Christian vocabulary, a well-cited bibliography, and of course, Christian manners. But this too is idolatry. He sees himself in the position of God, omniscient, declaring his thoughts to be the ultimate standard of truth and righteousness. He decides what is true and false. That he would maintain his own autonomy rather than submit to Christ or to any other for that matter, is the primary objective. He believes that God is reasonable and that he would impress a reasonable God and that his reasonableness would justify him before God. Here are some clues to identify intellectualism. First of all, faith is primarily an intellectual academic exercise. For every reason there is to believe the things of God, there's a reason not to. It's kind of a lukewarm skepticism for engaging the faith. There's little fruit of the Spirit that we read about in that Galatians passage. And to the degree that they are present, they're just kind of contrived to make life work for him and for people to like him, rather than outworking, uh, flowing out of a transformed heart. Like the legalists, they fall often and have little or no power over the works of the flesh that we just read about, and they're not bothered by it. They have reduced sin to sins and only repent for moral violations, not the primordial sin, things like unbelief, idolatry, and pride. Consequently, they repeat these same patterns again and again and again. And very much like the legalist, this person hates to be judged, always justifies himself, and is very quick to judge others, even according to biblical standards, while having the freedom to escape them himself. Second type of the, the libertine here is the emotionalist, and this, primar- this person is primarily concerned with how they feel. And if they feel wo- warm and happy and fuzzy inside, they feel like God is pleased with them. And when things are not working quite right in their lives, they seek experiences to reassure them that everything is uh, positive. Here's some clues to identify this. They have little or no interest in doctrine or truth. In fact, they would deny or avoid large parts of scripture and doctrine because they're downers or secondary compared to the positive experiences they prefer. Private revelation trumps scripture. If they don't like a command of God or don't understand it, they're going to do as they feel, as they feel led, rather than wrestle with the hard things of God and community. Their default is to kind of see God as the one who's there primarily to make them happy and feel good. So they do what makes them happy. 
paying little attention to the notion of sin, and many times they don't understand why the church makes such a big deal of all of that anyway. It's so negative. Unless, of course, they're talking about mean people or bad people. And they end up with a faith a mile wide and an inch deep, and when trouble comes, they put on a fake smile and hide their tears. Everything is always super, over the top for an emotionalist, when in public, but they live in denial or drift away from the faith altogether when crisis hits. Here again, it's idolatry. The emotionalist, in light of personal experience, has made God over in his own self-image. His feelings become the final arbiter of truth, and so long as he feels good, he feels justified before God. So since legalism and license are both death, and the Spirit is life, how can we live by the Spirit? Simply put, Christ came to transform our hearts, not just our minds, not just our behaviors, and not just our emotions. I think the whole point of this passage in Galatians is to show us that it is faith, working through love, by Christ's indwelling Holy Spirit, is where this heart transformation takes place. See, I think it plays out like this. In our old nature, we always want to put the cart before the horse. We want to get to work to prove something, to earn something, to pay something back. We want to skip the heart change. We want to skip being affected and just get on with manners and behavior and uh, behavior modification, pretending that it's working through love so that we're going to feel better about ourselves and fit into Christian community as neatly as possible falsely believing that we have fulfilled what it means to be Christian. And I think all this kind of living can really produce as the works of the flesh, whether lived out externally or not. So, yes, I have been arguing from extremes here today, using extreme examples of these, these polar opposites to show a point, to flush out the fruits of self-righteousness and self-justification, to show you what it looks like, and we all know, I think, people who live in these extremes. There are probably people that were coming to your mind as I was saying these things. That like, yeah, that really categorizes this guy or that girl. But what I want to suggest to you is I think that it is very possible that many of us are farther down one of these roads than we may believe. And why would I say such a thing? Well because I've been in and around ministry for a long time now. And for all of this time, and all of this personal relationship with Jesus community that I have been around over the years, my own life included, I'm struck how few of us exhibit the genuine fruits of the Spirit. I mean, not contrive to look Christian in front of others or psych ourselves up to behave better but genuine, restored heart, transformed living. How much genuine, consistent, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control do you see floating around in today's Christianity? How many people do you know who are living from that place? What I think should be the natural state of a believer indwelled with the Holy Spirit of Christ. If I'm honest, and I usually am, (laughs) 
if I'm honest, I see very little difference between the redeemed and the unredeemed in the way we approach life in our day-to-day living. The same level of fear, anxiety, worry, self-protection, control, addiction, strife, idolatry, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, dissensions, envy, and my favorite catch-all phrase that Paul uses, and things like these. These are all, of course, the works of the flesh. And no wonder the unbelieving world really doesn't have an ear for us anymore. Do we really have, do we really live a a compelling witness? I think they see us as just people with more burden added to their lives. And they know that doesn't work. What they want to see is genuine change. They want to see a real benefit from this thing. They want peace. They want rest, not work, not phony, not manipulation. They see right through the facade. Why bother, I think they say. Our text reads, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, both legalism and license fail to grasp the power of the cross. But I think once we begin to understand the meaning of the work of Christ and our true identity in Christ, remember, we get a new nature. A new door is open. And in that, the Holy Spirit reverses the idolatrous nature of these false beliefs and begins to replace them with truth, reminding us that our own righteousness is as filthy rags and we are in dire need of another, different, right righteousness that we can't get there on our own. Because of Christ's perfect obedience to the law and the cross, Christ's perfect righteousness is given to us by grace through faith when we believe on him as Lord and Saviors. And as believers, God looks at us as he does his own righteous son. We are forgiven sins and granted life eternal, all by his doing, not by ours. This is really important identity. We are now sons and daughters of God, most high. That is our new identity. God calls us friends, heirs, beloved, lacking nothing. We're given, hopefully, a transformed heart that sees Jesus as Lord rather than self. And that produces an inward change that manifests in outward obedience. That's where the power is, folks. That's where it is. Outward obedience without inward correspondence is nothing short of pharisaical hypocrisy. It's spiritually defeating and frankly impossible. The fruit of the spirits begin to replace the works of the flesh. How fruity are you feeling today? How fruity is your life? How fruity is the life of your community? We need to lay down these notions of self-salvation. Legalism and license are false gospels that undermine our true identity in Christ, and we have to repent and believe the true gospel. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God, and nothing we can do or fail to do will ever change that. We are already complete in Him. We don't have to prove anything to God. We don't have to run from God. I believe many of us, myself included, have for a long time thought of the process of sanctification as 
adding some good things to this lacking identity, to this incomplete, broken person that needs more and more of Jesus. Now, to be sure, we all need more and more of Jesus. But I think it was working out of this emptiness. I think it was failing to grasp that we are already whole in him. And I've come to understand, at least I'm, I'm trying this on, then sanctification is not so much adding more to us as it is shedding the baggage that we've picked up along the way, tearing off our fig leaves, becoming more honest, more relational, more true, uh, living from that new heart rather than trying to hide the old one. That makes a lot more sense to me. And man, is it freeing. The idea that we are already complete in him rather than I'm not yet and I have to keep adding things. And of course, theologically, we will be made finally whole when he comes again. But I think if our starting point is that we are already whole and holy in him, sanctification becomes a process of removing the baggage that we've created along the way to look whole and holy. And I think that you'll find the door to living from true identity in Christ will open up much easier for you. And finally, with regard to repentance, when we find ourselves living in legalism and license, we need to turn away from that to the self-reliance and back to Christ. And I want to say be kind to yourself here, believing the gospel, appropriating the gospel in all of its fullness and all of its depth is a process. We are indeed prisoners who have been set free, but we have also been institutionalized in our bondage. Old habits die hard. Our self-righteous autonomy dies hard. Be patient. We must always remind ourselves that it is Christ who justifies us, Christ who empowers, Christ who changes, Christ who forgave and forgives, Christ who has the word of truth and life, Christ who makes us whole and holy. We must remember that the work is finished, he said. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to try to escape it and find it any other way. Any more than that, anything else we might turn to, including our own self-reliance, is futile idolatry and self-righteous justification. Legalism is death. License is death. But the spirit is life. And I think that the Christian that embraces the fullness and depth of the gospel and his true identity will live in proper balance by the Holy Spirit. He will honor the law as the legalist, saying, I delight to do your will, my God. Your instruction resides within me. And trust God to work out his sanctification as the intellectualist and the emotionalist, saying, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to the completion in the day of Christ Jesus. I think this person will feel this antinomian pull, that temptation that says, God will forgive me if I do this, so I may as well. But his love for the Lord and his love for the brothers and sisters will keep him on course. And he'll understand clearly what Paul writes in Romans 6. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Nor will he be a stumbling block to his brother in his liberty. Remembering 1 Corinthians. Being careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. And it's not that this person is finding some middle ground between these two extremes. 
all of these extremes is, is flesh, I'm talking about a whole different plane. A whole different plane altogether. We're not trying to stay in between the guardrails of two dangerous pitfalls. We're trying to get to a different place. I hope that makes sense to you. That's where the spirit is. That's where life is. That's where life to the full is. Not in just this behavior stuff. Brothers and sisters, I leave you with this gospel promise this morning. Because Jesus Christ has sent his Holy Spirit to those who believe on him, we can lay down the works of the flesh and merely modifying our outward behavior and self-gratification, and we can enjoy the fruits of the Spirit living from a heart that has transformed our new identity, our new heart, our new creation, rather than faking it outwardly, also known as manners or social conditioning. And I submit that if you're struggling with any of these works of the flesh or lacking in the fruits of the Spirit, you've probably embraced some form of this false, self-serving, self-righteous gospel. You may be going into legalism, you may be going into license, or bounce back and forth as some kind of self-corrective action to, to keep you from being exposed. But it doesn't need to be that way. Because of the Spirit who directs our worship to Christ alone and calls us into our true identities, we can live a whole and holy life full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faith, gentleness, and yes, that all-elusive self-control. Turn away from yourself, turn away from all this works righteousness, and turn toward Christ. Embrace your true identity. Do it today, and you will be transformed and empowered to live life to the full, the life he said he came to bring. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it's a lot of stuff here. (laughs) Paul goes to great lengths, first against the Jews and, and then to those who believe the gospel of grace through faith. Father, we, we just have these ideas that we're always going to have to work to make something happen, to work to make ourselves better, more pleasing to you, to justify ourselves to you, to justify ourselves to other people. Uh, it's just ingrained in us to, uh, to put the cart before the horse, to just get busy without first being with you. Father, I'm reminded of Matthew 7.21 where... Many people will come on that day and say, you know, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name, we did that in your name. And you say, depart from me, I never knew you. Lord, we can get the cart before the horse and our heart can be far from you. And what a tragedy. What a tragedy. Father, help us to see our new heart. Help us to see our new identity. Help us to understand grace because that's what sets us free, not by behaving well. Father, when we are set, when we when our hearts are set free, Lord, that's when we behave well from the right place for the right reasons. And, and that I think is really fitting worship. Father, help us, help us, help us. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.